The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So, welcome this morning for this quite chilly morning here in Melbourne, <laughs> and for all those that are watching in warmer places. <laughs> but today, I was... Uh, a couple of days ago, I saw a posting on uh, the internet, and it was, of course, I think everybody will recognize it straight away, lest we forget. And what would that refer to? Lest we forget. Anzac Day, exactly. For those who, who are not from Australia, Anzac Day is tomorrow. It's a public holiday here. And it uh, remembers, it recollects, uh, the occasion, particularly the occasion when Australia was involved in the First World War and they had the, a big campaign in Turkey to actually um, uh, have this, they had this battle at Gallipoli and they were going to take, take, uh, take that area and then um, take the Ottoman Empire out of the war. That was the idea part to, to start that process. But of course, it turned out quite differently from what they planned. And this is on the 25th of April, 1915. And when they landed, of course, the Turks were ready <laughs> because the British had been sailing up and down and, and uh, bombing that area. So they, the Turks got ready because they were obviously alerted to the fact something's about to happen. And, of course, when what happened? A very big massacre, really, a big disaster with the Australians, the New Zealands, and all the other forces that were involved in that campaign. And uh, But it's remembered in a very positive light because of the spirit people, the, those men that fought, had. You know, they were very, had a lot of comradeship, and they were evidently very uh, innovative. And uh, so it's remembered in a more positive light than you would expect from what is really quite a quite a negative or disastrous uh, event. And also it remembers, I think we remember it more because it was not so long after Australia came into existence. We call it Federation on, in 1901. And so this uh, Anzac Day is an occasion where people remember, and it reminded me, well, what do we remember? You know, lest we forget. And, of course, we're remembering those people that passed away at Anzac, but all those that passed away in other wars. But what it brought up in my mind is, what are we forgetting that we keep having more and more wars? We have the Ukraine now. Why is it that this is the case? And what are we forgetting that can help us avoid these uh, disastrous wars, these wars that... Um, we're seeing in more and more graphic detail, aren't we, thanks to the internet. I mean, in the past, people would have wars and there'd be, you know, some sort of spin about that war, some sort of justification about that war. And we're seeing that here in, with Russia, and we also hear it from the Ukrainian side as well, you know, the current war. But when you see the war going on on your um, on the internet, on your screen, you're seeing people suffering, you're seeing people bleeding, you're seeing people being killed. It really hits home. You know, we can think how glorious Anzac was, but we weren't there. We weren't there to see the horror of what was actually happening. And uh, so this is what came through my mind, what, uh, what that aroused in my mind, that phrase, lest we forget. What are we forgetting? That this keeps happening again and again and people go to war and they feel that it's totally justified. <laughs> and, they, you know, and uh, even today we feel, you know, that various parties will feel very justified from their side, whether it be from the Russian side or the Ukrainian side. And everybody's taking sides. But it reminds me that what we're forgetting, of course, uh, one of the key terms in Buddhism, isn't it, is what is the key term? Is sati, mindfulness. And so when we're forgetting, there's no mindfulness there. So this is what I thought is a very important thing, this mindfulness in our practice, in our lives. Because if we don't have mindfulness, we just we don't, don't remember. We forget what's really important. And we forget what is reality. 
This is what this is what the Buddha is talking about, isn't he? Really, when we talk about samadhi, right view, he's talking about reality. And you know, that's what uh, comes home to me. You know, when I see these uh, these videos of uh, the Ukraine, people bleed, people die. This is reality, and somehow we haven't really taken that reality on board. We, that mindfulness is not with us. We can get carried away with all the um, propaganda, the hype, the justification. So it, it occurred to me, well, what is the thing that we're forgetting? And of course, it's, a, it's the most important uh, thing we're forgetting, and it's a part of right view, it's a part of reality, is of course old age, sickness and death. We're not really taking it on board. We're not taking it to heart. And this is uh, one of the key teachings that the Buddha uh, was giving us. Because we hear about right view. People here, I'm sure, know about right view. This is samaditi in the Pali language. And, of course, right view is giving and that there is um, this power in giving. There are results from giving. And there is... Um, karma, our actions do matter, what we do say and think do matter, they're shaping our lives and that there is a rebirth, that there is something after this life and also there is, we also have mother and father, the importance of mother and father and that there are enlightened beings in this world, beings that have seen the nature of reality and and, uh, teach that to us, whether we can understand it or not, that's up to us and of course, the essence of this right view is the Four Noble Truths. And that, of course, is key to uh, the Buddha's teaching. And also the idea that supports, uh, supports that too is that there is impermanence, there is uh, unsatisfactoriness, and there is non-self as well. So this is all very theoretical, isn't it? We can sort of hear those words and we can read them, and, and they don't make much impact. But when we connect with our lives, our experience of life, in terms of things that really affect us, and these things are things like old age, sickness, death, being separated from those things that are very dear to us, that uh, we um, or they become parted from them because they change or we change, and also, we don't, uh, and reflecting on our actions, the results of our actions of body, speech, and mind, how are they affecting our lives? So this is, this is really um, the essence of uh, reality, and this is how we can develop our right view. Right view is not something that we, we can, well, people can say it from the book, you know, they can quote it in English or in Pali, whatever language, <laughs> But it's a lived experience that's going to really make a difference. It's really going to make right view come alive for us. And this is why, I don't know if many of you went to Ajahn Brahmali's recent retreat. That was the end of February, um, uh, the end of, sorry, uh, March. It was 25th of March to the 2nd of April. And that was really, he focused on some of the uh, suttas, some of the teachings of the Buddha that really brought up a right view in a very experiential way. How experience, and the ones he focused on were old age, and another one uh, on the sources of conflict and uh, violence, which is what I was going to talk about this morning. But then I reflected, no, this is this is more what we're forgetting is these five daily recollections that the Buddha taught, and somehow people may think that these are basic. But how often do we really reflect on them? And the, in this teaching from the Buddha about the five daily recollections, we see the benefit of recollecting about these things. Sometimes we may feel we don't really want to know about them. <laughs> Most people don't. They want to forget about getting old and um, uh, having sicknesses and body passing away and also the separation from all that's dear and delightful. But these things actually ground us in reality. And they're things that once we face, 
In actual fact, they bring a lot of happiness to our lives. We understand we don't have that much fear, so much fear about them. And we'll deal with them much better if we can uh, connect with them as part of reality, part of the human condition. But also, when we, uh, when we reflect on these, we, reflect, we realize how important our minds are. Our bodies, yes, they are of the nature to get old, get sick, and pass away. They have to, have to. This is the nature of a, a body. But the mind, of course, is another thing. And this is what we're aiming at. It becomes very obvious with these five themes. And it's interesting. This is a, I should just give the reference to it. It's a teaching from the Buddha in the, we call them the numerical discourses. That's the ones by number. And this, these one, this one is from the, the book of five, so all the things are arranged in terms of numbers, ones, twos, threes, and so on. This one's got five elements in it. So it's called the Book of Fives, and it's the Sutta 57, and um, it's called Themes. This is uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation, is themes, five themes. And the Buddha, he really emphasizes how important this is to us because he says it's not only for uh, monks and nuns, he said it's for laymen and laywomen. And he says that it's uh, something that we should reflect on often. And uh, as I mentioned, I'll, I'll go through them and talk about them and then talk about the benefit that the Buddha mentions. Because this benefit actually will really, in a sense, counteract that tendency to have... Uh, to go toward violence, towards war, all these things develop. Uh, uh, so I'll talk about them as we go along. So the first one is, of course, I'm subject to old age. I am not ex- exempt from old age. Anybody here who is exempt from old age? <laughs> While you're young, you don't think that, do you? When you're young, you don't think that. But it's, it is a case that... You know, I know children, when they see you, they always... And I thought that with my grandparents. I thought, well, they were always old, weren't they? <laughs> and I think people do think like that. It's quite extraordinary, actually. Um, so when we reflect on the fact that, uh, yes, I'm not exempt from old age, uh, it, it brings up a lot of compassion for us, for others, and it also reminds us, yeah, even though I might have a young body at the moment, one day it's going to age. And so I should, you know, um, I should develop my mind. I should develop my practice. I should, um, you know, keep uh, moral, ethical conduct for five precepts and be generous, be kind, develop all the good qualities. Um, and this is one of the things that it encourages us to do. But the benefit, of course, and this is what the Buddha says here, is that when we... Uh, when we reflect that we're of the nature to age, um, subject to old age, not exempt from it, then we, then we give up. We can give up our intoxication with youth. Because often when, we're, um, when we have this feeling that we're always going to be young, and it's strange, even people who... <laughs> I've heard this. Somebody uh, who was 80 said, who was, who's had good health, she said, oh, oh, she was talking about people who were 90 or so. Oh, those old people. <laughs> and she is at 80, but the health was good. So she could say, say, oh, those old people. I thought that was quite funny. But we are. We, we often intoxicate with the sense of being young and youthful. Uh, as we get older, of course, the body is giving us a few wake-up calls that, you know, no, we can't do what we used to do. We don't have the stamina. We don't have the physical endurance to do these things. But the, when we have this sense of youth, then we can do and say and think things that are not good for us, not good for others. And uh, so this is, the Buddha says, when we reflect, yes, I am of the nature to age, um, I'm not exempt from that, then we can give up some of this uh, bad actions, bad speech, and the negative thoughts. We can give those up. Or, if we don't give them up totally, which is really quite advanced on the path, actually, to give up all those things, they can be reduced. They can be reduced. So this is the really important thing about 
reflecting on these five daily recollections is that they reduce the negative aspects of the mind. You know, that the aspect of the mind that wants to get stuff. And in actual fact, the Buddha says that this is the source of a lot of uh, violence, of conflict, of wars, is this uh, desire to get stuff, whether it be get more country, more land, more territory, more whatever. This is, this is what creates the competition in this world. This is, and there's a famous simile the Buddha gives for this, is of, of a bird who's got a piece of meat. He's found a piece of meat. Then all the other birds see this bird flying off with this piece of meat and they attack that bird. And the Buddha says, if that bird doesn't drop that piece of meat, it will either be really badly injured or killed. And that's true. This is the nature of this competition. Uh, that is in the world. And so this, these, these negative qualities of trying to get this uh, greed, they often call it, uh, this negativity of uh, uh, ill will or anger, these, these fuel wars, actually. They fuel wars. And they fuel the conflicts we have in our lives. So it's, in, it's an important uh, recollection. How many of us think I'm of the nature to get old and... <laughs> I'm not exempt from that. Not many of us. What we usually do, isn't it? We think, well, I'll go to the chemists and see what they've got, you know, to, to make the skin look younger, you know, the hair look glossier and fuller and all sorts of things. So, or go to the surgeon. So we, we, we don't accept old age at all. But of course, old age is to do with the body. The mind itself need not age. And this is what you see. Some people in pretty terrible bodies that are really not working terribly well, but their minds are really bright and, and uh, still very focused. And this is what we, we aim to, uh, to develop, the mind. And so it's very useful. And then as I, as I say, you know, when we see um, old age and we see it in other people, compassion does arise. We're more likely to, th to think, yeah, you know, can I help this person if they're having some physical difficulty? And this was an important recollection. You might think, well, you know, for the Buddha, would he have recollected like this? He did. He did. He said, is it fitting for me to, you know, feel um, uh, a distaste for an old person, a person who's sick, a person who's dying, uh, this sort of uh, feeling of, oh, I don't want to be involved. And he said, no, no, I'm of the same nature. And this is a, a reflection that the Bodhisattva did before he became the Buddha. He wasn't a Buddha by that stage. And he said by doing that, he gave up that infatuation of youth. Because when you're youthful, as I said, lots of energy. You feel like everything's possible and a lot of uh, power to the, to life, which is why... Armies are full of young, young people, young men, and now young women, isn't it? Right. So using that energy and that feeling like, because when we're young, you feel like, wow, somehow the idea of dying is not on the agenda. <laughs> it's just not, not, not possible. And of course, that's, that's an illusion. That's not reality. And as I mentioned, this is bringing us back, grounding us in what we're experiencing which is, you know, the, the reality of life is that these bodies get older. The minds, well, that's up to us how we develop them and develop them in good ways. And of course, the, the next one that the Buddha mentions, that uh, I am subject to illness. Uh, I, have not, I am not exempt from illness. Anyone here never been ill? Ajahn Brahm always asks this. Anyone here not been ill? No hands. <laughs> no, it's impossible, isn't it? Even the healthiest people, there's illnesses that come and go. And so Ajahn Brahm has that uh, saying, funny saying, doesn't he? When we go to the doctor, if we say, we shouldn't go to the doctor and say, something's wrong, I'm feeling sick, I've got this problem. He said, we should say, something's right. <laughs> But it's, uh, that's a bit too positive, isn't it, really? But it's part of nature, part of life, is this sickness. And it, when we aren't sick, 
we can't imagine, you know, uh, being sick. And we, we don't take, uh, we take actually our health for granted. And so this is uh, something that reminds us that health isn't there all the time. It will change. And in actual fact, when people get sick, I've had sicknesses, you know, that they sort of challenge us. But what they do, don't they, is they really bring us back to reality too. We come down to earth with a thump, as they say. <laughs> because when we're not sick, we think, oh, it's always going to be, you know, pretty good. But when we're sick, it really confronts us, actually, you know, with the fact that this, these bodies, you know, have these problems. And some of them are really big problems. You know, if you have cancer or um, a, a heart conditions, there are so many, or allergies, and uh, yeah, these immune diseases really, really challenging for people because they live with them day in, day out. And it, in order to be able to deal with those in a really positive way, we have to uh, be, develop very good qualities in the mind, particularly kindness and compassion for ourselves and for others. So this um, reflection that I'm subject to illness is very, very useful. And it and Buddha mentions when we do reflect like that, we give up. We can give up this intoxication, he calls it. It's madda in uh, Pali, like, a, yep, like madness. <laughs> uh, intoxication or illusion or youth, that it's always going to be there. And when we, do, when we do that, then our conduct by body, speech, our bad conduct by body, speech and mind can be reduced or given up completely. So this is... This is having an impact on, on the, our actions of body, speech and mind. And very important that we do that because, as I say, this is shaping our lives, our actions, our speech, and particularly our minds. And uh, so this, this is quite an important thing if it encourages us. And when we do that, then you know, the seeds for war, for violence and conflict can be reduced this is the important thing. When we get in contact with reality, reflect on reality, our experience of reality. And the third one, of course, I am subject to death. I am not exempt from death. And this is very much what happens in wars, doesn't it? There's a lot of killing, a lot of people dying. We hear in the Ukraine of quite a few civilians dying, Russian soldiers dying, Ukrainian soldiers dying. And death is... Um, something they're confronting, actually, in a crash course. But if we, if we reflect on this, if we reflect on the fact that these bodies that we have, each and every one of us here, will pass away, what, what effect does it have on the mind? We just have to ask ourselves, what, how do I feel when I reflect like that? I hopefully you're not, people are not <laughs> feeling depressed and all this sort of thing, but... It really, for me, it makes it makes me feel like, well, what's important in life, you know, and what are the priorities, and, and therefore, you know, focuses my life when I th- I think of death. And you, see, one of the interesting things with war, because um, you often hear, you know, this is sort of uh, hearsay. People say that, for instance, the Second World War, they were the happiest days of their life. <laughs> Why is that? Because they're facing a lot of death. Because I think part of it is that death focuses them in the present too. You know, just in the here and now. Being with people and really being with them. Because they know, you know, they could be killed or those other people could be killed. But also what, what you find with these wars is people band together too. And you see it with any of the disasters, any of the confronting things that we have to face. Like the big storms. We had here last year, local communities really came together. And it's always the case when there is a difficulty that people will come together. So death is one of these very important uh, contemplations. And uh, the Buddha says, when we contemplate death, we give up the idea that I'll live forever. (laughs) We have this sort of very strange illusion that this is going to go on forever and ever, but really, would we want it to go on forever and ever as the body gets older? don't think many people would. And he says, when we do give up that intoxication, then our bad conduct, bad speech, 
and the thinking that goes with it will be reduced or completely abandoned. And uh, and certainly for the uh, the Buddha, when he recollected these three things, that was a very power. The Bodhisattva before his enlightenment, Buddha before his enlightenment, that was very powerful recollections for him actually. And so the that's the benefit of reflecting on uh, on death. And the next one, of course, of course, is uh, and this is a hard one for all of us that we must be parted from all that's dear and delightful, or it will become otherwise. And we, this is something that really is, uh, we experience in this life very much. You know, those, uh, those uh, people, those animals that are very dear to us, you know, all the possessions that we have, being parted from them. But of course, we realize that when we pass away, we can't take them with us. <laughs> but what we do take with us is, of course, you know, our actions of body, speech and mind that we have done in the past. So this is a, something that's a, a very um, a recollection that we actually experience quite, quite regularly in our lives, being separated from others, uh, from those things that are dear to us. And this is uh, a recollection that is very, very useful for us because if we, if we really re- take on board, yeah, this is the nature of life. It's impermanence. You know, the sickness is part of impermanence. Old age is part of impermanence. Being parted from all that is dear and delightful or it becoming otherwise is part of impermanence. You know, we think of so many relationships where we th- people think when they fall in love, for instance, or they start a relation, they think, this is forever. <laughs> and then before they know it, it's over, you know. And uh, as I'm, I often mention, there was the song title from the 80s, I think, from Linda Ronstadt, where she said, did you think forever, the whole, did you think forever would last the whole night? <laughs> so that's a really um, uh, cynical sort of viewpoint. But uh, yes, so... So this is a, when we recollect that all that is dear and delightful, then our conduct by body, speech and mind, which isn't good, we can be reduced or abandoned, the Buddha says. And so this is very useful for us as well. And the recollection on karma, this is something that we can recollect that we, uh, the Buddha says, I am, we are the owners of our karma, we we, whatever we do, we're responsible for it. <laughs> we may blame the government, we may blame whoever. We often blame somebody else, some external force. But in actual fact, the emotion we're experiencing, where is it coming from? Inside us. It's not coming from the other person. Even if the other person, the situation we find in, is really challenging, do we have to respond with that negative uh, um, emotion? Not necessarily. And the more developed we are, the more we realize that if we do develop these uh, negative karma by body, speech and action, if we do say something, uh, lash out and say something, do something, or think negatively, we are the owners. We're the ones getting the results of it. We're feeling the emotions that go with it, which are not pleasant for us. And also that we are heirs of our karma, so whatever we do by body, speech and mind, that's what we will we will uh, inherit, and of course the mind is one of the the, the big things that fo- that shapes who we are, shapes our character, shapes our personalities, and uh, I'm I have come as my origin or my actions as my origin. And we often say what who we are today is the results of the past actions of body, speech, and mind particularly. And you can take that from um, life to life, like from a previous life, all the actions of body, speech and mind, they gave rise to the person I am now. But even in this life, we can see that, that uh, all the, the actions we've done as body, speech and mind, repeating things again and again, whether they be positive or negative, uh, um, become our personality, become our character. So that's uh, something that is very useful to, to keep in mind. 
And the, the Buddha mentions that our actions are our relatives. Or they're like our relatives. They're either supportive, or they're the good relatives or the bad relatives, <laughs> the relatives from hell. So, so this is uh, another aspect of our actions. He really impressed, and also that our actions are like our shelter, our protection, as it were. Or if they're negative, then uh, they lead to, uh, they're not really a shelter, they're actually a prison and uh, they torture us. So, and so this is an important thing that if we recollected that, you know, we are responsible for what we do, say, and think, then the Buddha says we can um, reduce our negative actions by body, speech, and mind, and or abandon them completely. And he doesn't finish the recollection of these. These the, the ben- that's the benefit. Basically, the benefit is that if we recollect on reality, the reality of our experience of old age, that we're getting older, the body's getting older. Uh, that uh, there is sickness from time to time, and there uh, there is death, whether it's our own death or our people that are close to us, animals, and so on, and also that we'll be parted from all that is dear and delightful. It's sounding a bit depressing, isn't it? Really, <laughs> and we're heirs of our karma. When we when we reflect on this, this is not this this gets us in contact with our own experience and with reality as well. But as I say, if we become depressed by that, that's not much use for us, really, because depression, of course, for us, is a negative state of mind. It's not one that enables us. But hopefully, when we, when we see that this is the nature of our experience, we also, this is the important step, we see that everyone's going through this as well. All, all beings, whether they be human beings, animals, what, whatever sort of beings, they go through these. And the Buddha says, when, uh, when that, when we realize that, yeah, I'm not the only one that's getting older, not the only one that get, gets sick, I'm not the only one that's body is dying, not the only one being separated from all that's dear and delightful, not the only one that's experiencing results of their karma. Every being does that. He says, when that is, uh, when we see that, then the path, the Noble Eightfold Path, the path can arise. We're in contact with reality, we're in contact with right view, samaditi, and then the path can arise and uh, we can develop it and cultivate it. And as we do, then the negative fetters, the fetters, the things that bind us to being born again and again can drop away and, uh, and eventually everything, all that abandoned so that person becomes fully awakened. So this is the, the, the aspect of contemplating that takes us to the deeper side. What is it taking us to? It's taking us to very much the understanding of impermanence. You know, when you think of old age, when you think of sickness, when you think of death, things being parted, and, and also our karma, you see impermanence in a big way. But you also see that throughout this whole process, you know, old age, sickness and death, being separated from all that's dear and delight. That's not fun. That is unsatisfactory. We're seeing dukkha immediately. And also we can see this sense of non-self through the whole process as well. This body, aging, what can we do about it? Can we control it? Can we stop it? We do our best. (laughs) People really, really do fight that. And the same with sickness. We can't control it. We can't control the, um, we can reduce it and we can work with it, um, but we cannot necessarily completely overcome it. We can't live forever. (laughs) People sometimes think they'd like to. And also the same with death. We cannot control that. And this quality of not being able to control things is a a hallmark of non-self. So, and the same with the mind. We are not necessarily in control of it, but we can influence it, uh, the direction the mind goes in. So we're influencing it towards developing right view. And when this right view is there, then the path arises. When we've seen impermanence, we've seen things never permanently satisfying. When we see that there isn't a, 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 a 
fixed person inside, the permanent me, the permanent I, then we can make this breakthrough to uh, awakening and then the path, we follow that path. So that is, that is the five daily recollections. And the Buddha, as I mentioned, he encouraged us all without exception. The whole Buddhist community, we call it the fourfold Buddhist community of monks, nuns, laymen and laywomen. So everyone to reflect on that. And as I say, when we do reflect on it, then we get in touch with reality. And when we're in touch with reality, we're getting closer to right view. It may not be comfortable. <laughs> not, reality sometimes isn't the way we want it. Often not the way we want it. Um, but this is where we can really develop wisdom about the nature of the world. And if we develop that, nat- uh, that wisdom about the nature of the world, then those negative qualities in our minds, in our hearts, can be reduced our negative actions, our negative speech, uh, and negative thought patterns, emotions can be reduced. And this is a way we can really contribute to a better world, a world where there is less war. Will there ever be a time when there are no wars? Anybody think that's possible? I I think not. (laughs) If humanity has these negative seeds of um, uh, desire, greed, hatred, and delusion, there will always be these sorts of wars, these conflicts. But if we practice um, a a spiritual teaching, then we're going in a direction where we are purifying the mind, letting go of these negative qualities, and becoming a great blessing for the world, hopefully, and and, uh, giving another alternative to violence, giving an example of peace, that can touch people. And this is a value of spiritual teachings and some spiritual leaders. They give a lot of uh, encouragement for a different direction and uh, for training the mind and uh, in good qualities that will overcome the seeds of war. So I'd like to just finish there with that uh, um, reflection on the five daily contemplations. So, and hopefully we can all do some of that in our lives and, and realize that this is a connect is is connecting us very strongly with the dhamma with re, rec, uh, recollecting our own lives and developing an understanding of reality so thank you very much for that Sadi. thank you so are there any comments or <laughs> any comments from the floor isn't it first of all yes Yep, thank you Ajahn. So just a reminder that we'll be alternating one question from the floor and then one question online, just so if there's a lot of questions then the people on, online don't just miss out. Yeah, that's good. Right, uh, so if anybody wants to ask a question, you're welcome to make a comment or a complaint. Uh, good morning, and good morning. Thank, you, yeah. thank you for the talk. It was lovely. I really enjoyed it. All right. Um, I have a question when uh, when it comes to meditation. Yeah. Um, sometimes I feel like um, when I'm trying to sort of get in touch with my other parts of my chakras or my being, yeah. I sometimes get stuck and concentrated too much in the point between like my head here. Um, yeah. And I'm trying to sort of connect with my sort of heart chakra and get into the solar plexus stage. Mm. So when I'm trying to meditate and when I'm pulling energies mm. from the divine and from the from the from the root chakra, from the crown and root, oh, right. I'm struggling with the getting into the solar plexus chakra and really feeling that, like uh-huh. I'm feeling like I'm sort of stuck here. Yeah. yeah. Um, for people who are sort of trying mm. to connect more with the heart chakra or with sort of mm. that center chakra, do you have any sort of like tips or suggestions or anything that? a person mm. can try to get into that deeper state mm. um, to unlock maybe deeper levels of consciousness. Mm. Um, I would appreciate any thoughts you have on that. Yes. I think uh, yes, for in meditation, uh, when we calm the mind, then we can get into uh, deeper states for sure. That's, uh, that's uh, the point. And uh, if, we, if we're um, you know, sort of focusing at, uh, in, in a particular spot, if, we try, if it's happening like that, for instance, in the breath meditation, we can follow the breath 
and allow the breath to re re um, follow the breath from the nose to the chest to the abdomen and from the abdomen to the chest to the nose. So we can follow it down and up, uh, back up again. And that way, just let the mind be with it in a very simple way. That way we can get in touch with, we can get in touch with the present moment and, uh, and not have necessarily an agenda too, you know, because if we have the idea, wow, I want to get in touch with my heart chakra or, you know, into this sort of feeling level of, of the, uh, our experience, that, re that desire really is, is, is going to block it really. The more we, you notice this, when we're working with the mind, you learn a lot about the mind, <laughs> especially in meditation. Um, you realize the more you want, the more of a blockage it is to it, uh, for, for experiencing that. So just to be simply in the present moment. And that's why the breath, the body, are very good anchors for the present moment. So we can, you know, we, then when we, we come into the present moment, we can experience the deeper levels of the mind and maybe the feeling aspects of the mind as well. But uh, some meditations are uh, much more uh, attuned to developing the feeling aspect, uh, our feeling aspect. Of course, once when the, uh, the meditation settles down, if it goes very deep, what will happen is this joy will come up and then that from that joy we call that uh, piti, then we get a tranquility in the body, it becomes very, very peaceful in the mind too. And this is sometimes when people can't feel the body at all. They either get very excited or they get very afraid sometimes, but if they can just let it be, then they'll go further and the mind will be very happy because it's like, uh, often liken it to when people have these out-of-body experiences. Usually they don't complain about it, actually. They're quite happy to be out of the body. When they come back to the body, they think, wow, this is a heavy vehicle, to say the least. Um, so then this happiness develops, and then the mind comes together by itself. So this is a natural process of actually going deeper and deeper. In, in, they're all feeling level, too. They're all in, in that, that level. But to begin with, to develop that peace in the mind, very, very useful. And uh, uh, other meditations that connect us particularly with feeling and they are very very good in terms of removing negative qualities in the mind are things like loving kindness meditation or just kindness friendliness meditation um, where we are being our own best friend and the best friend of others and that can really connect us with that feeling level but it also reduces a lot of the negativity in the mind the getting aspects of the mind or the getting rid of aspects of the mind or, you know, or the concern with oneself. This is delusion, you know, aren't I great or I want this, I've got this agenda that I want, you know, all these things. So that can be a very good preparation too, to arouse that feeling side. Because often with meditation, if people can get in contact with the feeling, that will take them a lot, lot deeper a lot deeper and then the feelings will develop stronger and stronger actually because these deeper the deeper the mind goes in coming together the more happiness the more joy there will be so this is a, this is a direction the mind will naturally go in this is the buddha talks about this as an automatic process but you've got to get to the stage where the mind where where it is getting very peaceful and then a very alert a very mindful aware and then these, this joy can come up. But we can prime it a bit by developing these positive emotions like I was mentioning, loving-kindness, but contentment can be another one. Gratitude is a great one. Being thankful for our lives, things in our lives, can bring up that feeling in the heart straight away. And combining it with, say, for instance, the breath can really bring up uh, more and more emotion as the... Uh, feeling, positive feeling, as the mind starts to gather more uh, focus, more focus. We're not doing it, that's the important thing, we're not doing it. So it's happening by itself, a natural process. So I hope that uh, gives you a few, a few thoughts about the developing um, the heart chakra, you're talking about the feeling side of things. So thank you very much for that. And. Thank you, Ajahn. Yes. Um, first online question. Yes. Is the daily recollection of the five remembrances part of right effort? 
Thank you, Ajahn Nisarno. Your wisdom changes lives. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that's very kind. That's very, as long as it changes my life, that's, <laughs> that's for the, each of us, isn't it, really? It's got to change our lives. That's why it's, it's got to be our experience, our wisdom, our understanding. I always say it's knowledge until um, it's our experience. Once, it, once it's our experience, it can become wisdom. You know, and that's the important thing. So, sorry again, the question, yeah. Um, the five the, remembrances, yeah. Yeah, whether the five remembrances are part of right effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Right effort is um, is the mm, sixth factor on the Noble Eightfold Path, Sama uh, Vayama or Sama Padana. Um, I've been talking about it for over a year with the nuns because we have to every two weeks I give a talk to the to the um, the uh, fully ordained nuns at the monastery in Newbury, and we just focused. We're on still on right effort after a year, so this is amazing because everything in the path actually is part of right effort, and those four there's four aspects to right effort, and they are first to avoid you know, negative states of mind, to avoid them, negative emotions, being wise about them uh, and not uh, getting caught up in them. Um, and a big part of that is, of course, you know, in Buddhism we call it sense restraint. And then um, when we have developed, when the negative uh, mind states have developed, how to let go of them, a very important uh, part of uh, right effort. And the third, fourth, third aspect is uh, the effort to develop positive uh, qualities in the mind. And the fourth one, to maintain them. So this recollecting, um, the, uh, these five daily recollections, has, has a number of uh, qualities, to, a number of aspects of right effort to it. It helps us avoid negative states um, because we, we're re recollecting about uh, old age, sickness, death, so on, and so a lot of uh, it can reduce some of the negative qualities in the mind, um, and also it can uh, produce uh, more wisdom in the mind. So we're developing good qualities, and we can maintain them. So it's a, it is um, definitely part of right effort. Nearly everything is part of right effort if it's a wholesome thing, positive thing. So it's a. Yeah, no, no problem with that. So thank you for, for that question about right. Right effort is very, very important. And um, one of the things I say every fortnight to the nuns is right effort has to depend on right view and it has to depend on right intention. So uh, for our effort to be right, it has to be in line with reality. <laughs> this is samanditi, right view. And it also has to be coming from a good place, you know, for our effort to be uh, right. It has to be coming from a sense of not getting, and we call it renunciation. Renunciation means instead of looking for our happiness out there in the world, we're looking for our happiness inside. This is where it's all coming from anyway. <laughs> Basically, it's, it's, it's a control center for our experience of life, actually, is the mind, is the heart. So that, uh, and the other qualities of uh, right intention or right motivation, of course, is kindness and also uh, not harming other beings, being compassionate to other beings, caring, all the positive qualities, actually. So this is required with right effort. Otherwise, we can find ourselves doing, you know, practices where we're forcing ourselves to meditate for hours on end, maybe doing damage to our knees or to our minds or whatever, um, not being kind. And we can be doing our practice of meditation with the idea, I'm going to get stuff. I'm going to get these big insights. I'm going to get these big jhanas. I'm going to get big whatever. You know, and so this is definitely not, you know, the right motivation for for the path to really work. It's actually a good motivation for a lot of suffering because <laughs> the more you want things, the more dukkha, the more difficulties you, you, you will actually experience. If we want less, we'll be surprised at what comes to us. So these are, it's very important, this motivation is, is crucial for um, our practice of the Noble Eightfold Path. 
So even if people seem putting in hours and hours on the meditation cushion and so on, if they're not coming from the right place, if they're forcing themselves, if they if they're doing it tough, it's quite likely they're not they're not actually um, practicing in a way that will actually bring good results. You know, to, it, people are different characters for sure. Some people are very tough character, and they enjoy it. You know, like. You know, these um, dutangas that people take, you know, for instance, eating one meal a day, not uh, not having a breakfast, just having one meal and so on, or there are many other ones that, or even ones of not sleeping, lying down and things like this. If it fits your character, great, that's good. And it really gives you joy in the practice, really good. But if one is forcing oneself to do that and thinks, oh, this is awful, you know, it's not going to bring much benefit, actually, to us. So this, for our effort to be right, we have to have this right motivation. It's got to be coming from right motivation and uh, not from force. And realizing, coming from real understanding, too, that these bodies, our body and our mind, is not ours as such. It's non-self. It, it is a process that's happening. We're working with a process, or we're trying to use willpower, <laughs> to control the process, to make it the way we want it, get it the way we want it. And that's not the way of the Buddha. The way of the Buddha, of course, is wisdom power. And this is what Ajahn Brahmali was emphasizing in his retreat, actually. Wisdom power, the power of reflection, is really uh, the power that changes things and uh, not this force coming from a sense of self and a sense of wanting to get and the agenda and all these things. So yes, definitely part of right effort. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. And any other questions? From Thank you, Ajahn, um, for that one. I, just to follow up on that question, where do you draw the line with um, with that effort? Because you you need to yeah. sometimes really put that effort mm. in in order to know how far you can go. Um, mm. I know with myself, when during the Vasa period, I, I sort of took my, med- put in that extra effort, yeah. in my meditation and the sits, mm. and it was, it was such a struggle. Oh, know, right. it, it was always such a struggle. So from, the, from the time I sit, like I increased it by an extra, the time-wise, 50%. Yeah. Yeah. And from the time I sat, it was, all, it was always a, a struggle. Yeah. And... And I find that, you know, in order to push yourself to to try and go past mm. a boundary, you, you, you have to do that. But where do you mm. draw the line as to, all right, you, you, it, you have yeah. to kind of wind back. Yeah. Yes, I think that's a, um, a very common, common thing that people feel like if there's no pain, there's no gain. <laughs> and I think, you know, there's no doubt if you use willpower... You can achieve things, you can do things, but can you sustain them is, is, the, is the, real, the real thing. Because in the end, we, what really propels our practice is enjoying it, actually, of seeing the benefit. It may be you know, uh, seeing the benefit in, in terms of what we're understanding, or it could be in terms of what we're, the emotional states we're experiencing while we meditate. Um, but very important that we enjoy what we're doing because I think you could do it for the vasa, you know, do the, make it 50% longer. But really, what we really want to make it is 50% better quality, actually. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Even if it was only short, it's, it's really good quality. That's great. And that's really good. So I, I think, uh, quality is always better than quantity. Yes, sometimes willpower, especially if we've got, a good um, a good attitude with it, you know. We're not really being hard on ourselves, but we just want to see the limits. We want to test our, our limits because, you know, sometimes in our practice we have to be able to say no to different uh, uh, negative states of mind that come up, and so this is this this takes some strength of mind. But it's also the, the what propels that is also seeing that there's freedom too from uh, being limited by defilements, being limited in your, in your experience of uh, shorter sits. sits. But I, I would say the big thing in our uh, meditation practice, sitting, is quality, not quantity. And uh, to, 
to really, if we're really understanding the mind in that process, then that's good. Even if you know we're sitting many, many hours and we're understanding good, if we're not really understanding the mind, if we're not, uh, the practice is not developing um, more peace, more stillness, um, less agitation, uh, less irritation, uh, less sense of getting, then it's not uh, not so useful. Not so useful. We have to judge for ourselves, I think. So, but I agree. We sometimes we need to motivate ourselves to <laughs> to, to push ourselves a little bit, and that's important. I know Ajahn Brahm used to say, "Our effort, our effort is to just to get to the cushion. <laughs> that's the main. That's the willpower that we need, just to get to the cushion." But it's easier to get to the cushion if we want to go there, isn't it? If we enjoy it, we think, wow, great, I can, I'm, I'm looking forward to meditating. You know, and uh, if meditation becomes like a, a sanctuary, a place of peace and, and joy, a happiness for us, then we, we, we will look for that, that place, that caravan sarai for us, for the mind, the, that place where the mind is uh, released of all, the, of all the preoccupations with work and the future plans and all that sort of thing. So this is really working towards the mind wanting to do it. If we can turn meditation into a hobby, fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Regis. I hope that was okay. There we go. Ah, very good. And Thank you, Ajahn. Um, next question. I've been thinking that samsara is external world presenting the five remembrances. But after this talk, I think that samsara is my concept in my heart where I don't hold the right view to accept the world as it is. Do you think this is the case? Can you just repeat that last bit? Yeah, um, that. After this talk, I think that samsara is my concept in my heart where mm. I don't hold right view to accept the world as it is. Right, right. Yes, yes. I think, uh, I think I'm getting an idea of it, yes. Yet when we we don't have a right view, when we have wrong view of the world, um, then it is very hard to accept. Yes, that is that's very that's very true, and it's very hard to um, to connect with other people and other beings that are experiencing, you know, this these five uh, daily uh, recollections, experiencing them in their lives, old age, sickness, and death. We're often um, it can overwhelm the mind in the sense you think, wow, this is too much, and samsara is going on and on and on and on. But when we, um, when we recognize it um, in terms of wisdom, it's part of impermanence, it's part of unsatisfactoriness, it's part of non-self, I can't control these things. Um, then we're connecting with wisdom, and then there's some joy comes up in the mind, happiness comes up in the mind, because we're understanding how things are. You know, often when people get old, sick, dying, separated from, you know, break up with their relationships or whatever, they think, why me? You know, why me? And that's a very natural thing to think, isn't it? Why me? But of course, you know, when if you've reflected on life and reflected on your own experience, you think, yeah, this is, this is how reality is. And it can release the mind from a lot of um, suffering, a lot of disappointment, distress, uh, because we've understood, yeah, this is the nature of life. But then if we can connect with other people, that adds a huge dimension because then we can develop that kindness, that friendliness, loving kindness, or ourselves, that compassion for ourselves and others as well because we recognize we're all in the same boat. <laughs> and that can really, that can change it because... Often these experiences of the five daily recollections as a personal experience can feel very isolating. But when we connect and we see, yeah, it's part of the whole of all beings' experience, it changes it from that personal level to understanding it at a more universal level. So yeah, no, I think uh, um, and then, and then it's very valuable for us, actually. And then we'll have a lot of happiness and joy. And we can we can really do the best with our lives because if we don't have if we don't if we don't recollect these things then we can spend our lives uh, preoccupied preoccupied with distractions 
This is, this is number one for, for most of humanity, actually. Um, and I know Ayakima used to say this too. She used to say that distraction is number one for people avoiding um, you know, life, the, the unsatisfactory as, aspects of life. And for me, that the image of that that's been that's most strong is the idea of an um, aged care home residence, people playing bingo, <laughs> and and sort of trying to not focus on in the fact that the body's getting older. You know, are they prepared for the journey that's coming? You know, from this life to another life, we would say, and this is very much what the. The, the power of the Buddha's words in the Dhammapada about the house being on fire and the house that's on fire is this body and mind <laughs> on fire with you know the negative aspects of the mind greed, hatred and delusion often the Buddha would mention so this is uh, yeah this is something that can really change the way we experience life and can bring up these really good qualities emotions of compassion um, also, uh, equanimity, acceptance is a very big one, and joy for um, other people's good qualities and success in life. So these qualities, this can bring up these in a big way when we reflect on these five recollections. So thank you, thank you for that. And maybe, oh. Hello, Margaret. You want to, oh, you want to? Yes, there we are. She'll probably finish off soon. Thank you, Ajahn, for yes. your talk. Um, it's been very meaningful, especially yeah. about right effort. Yeah. So, um, just have a question of asking mm. your advice on, let's say, um, you know, um, you said we gain from the experiences, our experiences to wisdom. Mm. And then, so if we have uh, gone through some um, negative experience mm. and then we learn from it um, you know and um, try to let go and everything so how do you let go of that negative experience to try to reach non-self because that experience is like part of yourself and you mm. try to learn from it mm. but at the same time you want to move on and Mm. connect with uh, the your understanding that about non-self mm. because you know this is not permanent. Mm. So it's like the at one time you you want to learn mm. from it, but you want to move away from that negative mm. experience to non-self. Yeah. That please, um, yeah, some advice on that. Yeah, thank you. I think I think it's a it's very natural with uh, negative experiences, whether they be you know uh, physical or uh, you know like pain and things like that. Uh, or mental pain that we want to to get rid of them, aversion arises for them, and that is actually not a not a good quality to have. You know, however we want to try and get rid of them, but what will help us is wisdom, of course. And you're talking about developing uh, learning or understanding of that situation. Often that will have a, a very healing effect on the mind, anyway, because. You know, some of the, the, the deep hurts we have with people when we, or situations in life, when we really understand them, oh, is that what they meant? Or is that where they're coming from? Then it just evaporates. If it is really deep wisdom, or, you know, wisdom, really have understood the situation, then it's sort of, in a sense, that is the healing as well. But sometimes for us too, you know, uh, uh, we may have to have more active um, um, aspect to it, isn't that? Is forgiveness, isn't it? You know, being able to forgive ourselves often that's the biggie, isn't it? <laughs> for, for what we did or said, or you know, we're thinking, um, or forgive others, or forgive a situation, you know. Um, and to realize, you know, for each of us to realize when we do forgiveness, we, you know, sometimes people say, Well, I can't forgive them because it's unforgivable. You know, and, and some things are pretty tough, I must admit. They, must, they are tough. But if we can't forgive, then we are stuck with them. It's like we've got this, uh, I often use the image of the rubbish bin. We, we are clinging on to it, holding on to it. Um, but if we can forgive, we're the ones that benefit. Whether the other person does or not, or the situation, um, we, don't, we don't know. But for ourselves, forgiveness is, it's got to be genuine, of course. You can't just say it and uh, not mean it 
So that's uh, two aspects I think come to mind, is wisdom. Wisdom, really understanding something, heals it often. It can really, and you just see it. I've seen it in my life. Just let go. You just go, it's automatic. But if, if that is not the case, then maybe forgiveness, because there's something that's uh, um, holding on there, isn't there? And it's usually a sense of self. That's one of the, the, the main reasons we hold on to hurts. It's my hurt. <laughs> You know, and it's terrible, isn't it? Really, I mean, if we held on to good things, no problem. But when we hold on to hurts, that's it's it's uh, it's not for our happiness and well-being at all. So this forgiveness is uh, is very useful to to do that. But trying to push away, you see it in our lives. Trying to push away any negative mind state, like uh, you, you can you can distract yourself from it for a time, and sometimes that can be skillful because you may not have the strength to deal with it at that time. But it doesn't deal with it. But if we see it with wisdom, for sure, that will deal with it. But forgiveness can also work, because forgiveness is coming more from an emotional level. There can be understanding level for us, yes, for sure, we understand it intellectually. Um, but if we really understand something intellectually, it will go deep anyway, it will go to the feeling level. But also forgiveness addressing a feeling level too. So I hope that's that sort of sort of anyway, so that help contributes. So I think that's uh, probably enough for today. Is it? unless oh we, we usually alternate now, Margaret, between one and <laughs> did you have a qu- a quick question? Yes, please. There we are. We can finish off. Thank you for your insightful talk this morning, Ajahn. <laughs> My question is in regard to, I guess, the present war in Ukraine. Yes. It's, I guess, the options, there are two options. Mm. When there is an invader, yeah. does one take up arms and defend one's country and one's people to try mm. to, or does one just say, oh. ha- have this passive subservience, so yeah. let them ride on through yeah, yeah. and, and um, let them kill or whatever and one doesn't defend Um, I guess there are the two options and there have been in spite of all the number of people killed in Ukraine there have been some benefits in terms of uniting the world and in terms of some um, more clarity on morality and what is the right thing to do but so I'm just interested in your views in regard to this I think that many people are you know Uh, yes I think that's a good good questions and I think, you know, it really will depend on the situation, you know. I think in the Ukraine, for instance, the causes and conditions for the, the response to the war were definitely all there. I did see one, one comment that uh, the uh, president of the Ukraine, Zelensky, is the perfect person for the time, you know. And given that those sorts of conditions, yes, I mean... That, yeah, he's a war leader, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, so I think... I think it, it's, uh, it's something you can't be uh, cut and dried about. Sometimes, you know, a, a radical, uh, passive, peaceful approach may be appropriate, but another other situations not so. You know, so I mean, for instance, for Gandhi in India and so forth, it worked very, very well in that situation. But this situation with this invasion, different, different causes and conditions, and uh, yes, yeah, certainly. You know, it's um, it's focused the world, <laughs> and it makes you reflect on war, seeing all the, uh, the the incredible suffering of war, really, and also the process that supports it from both sides. You know, the uh, the justification. You know, from both sides, you just see it all. You know, so it's a it's a very interesting process. So yeah, thank you for that question. I hope that was yeah good. And now we can finish off for those who would like to pay respects to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha.